Good morning. My name is Jacob Kingsley. I'm the youth pastor here at Elevation Community Church. Um, and I'm so excited to be able to share with you what God has laid on my heart this week as we are in the series Upside Down Kingdom. And before we get started with that, I read something from one of my <clears throat> favorite authors um, about Father's Day today. His name is Bob Goff. I don't know if any of you have, have heard of him, but he says, I think a father's job when it's done best is to get down on both knees, lean over his children's lives and whisper, where do you want to go? Every day, God invites us on the same kind of adventure. It's not a trip where he sends us a rigid itinerary. He simply invites us. God asks, what is it he's made us to love? What is it that captures our attention? What feeds that deep, indescribable need of our souls to experience the richness of the world he made? And then, leaning over us, he whispers, let's go do that together. And so I'm not a father, but I have seen this modeled in my life from my father. And so to all the dads out there, your role is so important. It is so needed in our society, in your kids, in your family's lives. And so I just wanted to take a moment and thank all of you for the hours that you put in, for the dedication you put in, and know that, that God is there to give you strength and you are not in it alone. So we are in this series, Upside Down Kingdom. And this is the fourth week of this series. Um, the first week, Phil came, and he taught us what is the kingdom of God? Where is the value in the kingdom of God? And we learned that the kingdom of God is not a place. It's not even just a people group, but it's wherever the rule, reign, and authority of God is made known in this world. And then Pastor Daniel came and he talked about how does the kingdom of God operate, talking about grace and forgiveness and how that is the, the rules, that is, you know, the structure of the kingdom of God. And then last week, Dennis came and he talked about who is the kingdom of God for? Who is it for? And um, looking at different parables of Jesus, the kingdom of God is for the lost. The, the kingdom of God is for people who don't yet know God. The kingdom of God is for everybody. And so I'm honored to be able to come here today and discuss what is our response to the kingdom of God, asking the question, what are you building your life on? And so we'll be looking at our response to the kingdom of God. Last weekend, um, I was able to go to Maryland to celebrate two good friends from college, their wedding, um, and it was awesome. But it was kind of strange as we were driving there. It was about a six-and-a-half-hour drive, as we were going through, I didn't expect Maryland to have as much farmland as it did. I was like, okay, I thought that was just an Ohio thing. Like, thought we had the corner on the market for farms. Um, but no, we're going through Maryland, and it's, it's pretty hilly and everything, so I was kind of surprised. But I'm looking at these different fields, and something kept standing out to me, because it was in, like, every single field. And in their fields, there were still rocks everywhere. And it's not like... Um, they had taken time to get the rocks to the edge of the fields, but you could tell that they just planted around the rocks. They were everywhere. And there'd just be like solo trees in, in the middle of the field, and they, the rows of whatever they were planting, I don't know what it was, but would go around it. And it just seemed so odd that they would take so much effort not to disturb the rocks and the trees. 
and they took effort to plant around it. And so as I was preparing for this message, we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower, this you know, real-life example of Maryland farmers who, props to Ohio farmers, I think you've got it down. I, I had some pride for you guys. I was like, your fields look way better than what Maryland has. So take some pride in that. You know, go home and, and celebrate your fields. Um, but and so Jesus, he's going to be talking to the crowds about fields. He's going to be talking in, in a parable about sowing, about seeds and growth. But before he even gets into the parable, Jesus almost gives a warning. He's talking to the crowds, and he quotes something from Isaiah 6, back in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 6, and what Jesus quotes says, Keep listening, but don't understand. Keep looking, but don't perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. And God is, is quoting through Isaiah to Israel a warning that they are hearing the word of God and they aren't doing anything about it. They are hearing and they're seeing what God is doing in their life, but they aren't responding at all. And Isaiah's like, but if they did respond, they would turn back and be healed. And so Jesus is warning his current audience. He's saying, don't be like Israel. Don't see everything that God is doing. Don't hear everything that God is telling you and not change. Because look what happened to Israel. They were taken into captivity. And so Jesus gives them a warning. Instead, he speaks of hearing and understanding. He said later in this passage, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but the rest is in parables, so that looking others may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so today, we're going to look at what are the secrets of the kingdom of God. What is it that Jesus is revealing that he so desperately wants us to understand about the kingdom of God that is so important to the kingdom of God that some people might not even understand for different reasons that we'll see today. And so with that, let's pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for your love and grace poured out in our life. Thank you that your kingdom is powerful, that your kingdom is growing, that your kingdom is real. And I pray that it would be made a reality in each and every life today. Guide my words, take over, Holy Spirit, Just use this time. In your name I pray. Amen. So today we'll be looking at the passage of the the parable of the sower in Luke 8. Um, The Upside Down Kingdom is is a series based off our chapter a day as we've been going through Luke the past month or so. And we've been looking at different parables in Luke and in the Gospels of what Jesus is saying to be true about his kingdom. And so today we find ourselves... In Luke 8, starting in verse 4. And what today is going to be like is is we're going to go through verse by verse and just look at at what is going on. And this parable is really important because it's one of the only parables that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And at the same time, in each account, Jesus takes time afterwards to actually explain what this parable means. So with some parables, Jesus, we don't have written in the Bible Jesus' interpretation, what he meant by it. And so we have to use a lot of other context and clues to really understand. But in this one, later in the passage, he takes 
his disciples back, and he explains it to them. So we're going to be looking at verse by verse, and then we're going to use Jesus' explanation to see what's really going on here, because he has a lot more to say and a lot more wisdom than I ever could. And so starting in verse 4, it says, "As As a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable. And so what's the setting here? Other gospel accounts tell us that he's at the Sea of Galilee and that people have been traveling from all over. So what I think is interesting is, is as I've already clued us into, he's going to be talking about fields and sowing and this agricultural world. And people would have been walking by it that day. In order to get to the Sea of Galilee, they would have had to walk by fields. They would have walked through fields. And so Jesus knows his audience well. People are coming to him to be healed, to see miracles, and some people are coming to learn from him. But Jesus has been doing incredible things, and so he has this following. And so I think Jesus recognizes that not everybody present in this crowd is looking for spiritual salvation, looking to him as their savior, as their Lord. There are a lot of people that are just coming to see what is going on with this Jesus guy. You know, maybe I'll see him cast out a demon. Maybe I'll see him turn some more water into wine because I've heard he does that, and that's what I'm about. People are coming for all different reasons, and Jesus is addressing the whole crowd. And so, going on in the passage, it says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. So before we get too far in, I want just to define a few terms that are going to be used in this parable, just so that we were all on the same page, because Jesus is essentially using this parable as an analogy. All the things in the parable have real-life um, counterparts. And so the first is the sower. And a sower is just anybody that sows seed. This would have been the farmer of the field. And his job, his livelihood, the way that he provided, the way that his family survived, was by sowing seed and harvesting it in its due time. And so Israel, like I mentioned earlier, was largely agricultural. So if people in this crowd weren't sowers, somebody in their family was a sower, or their neighbor was a sower. Everybody knew how to sow seed, what it was like to harvest, and what fields operated like. And so this was so just common knowledge for them. And so the counterpart in the spiritual kingdom of God that the sower is, is it's anybody who teaches the word of God. Anybody who brings the word of God. And that's not just pastors. That's not just a small group leader. You know, that's not just Jesus. But it's anybody who spreads the word of God. So as you teach your children about who Jesus is, you are the sower. You know, as you talk to your coworkers or whoever it is, you are the sower. And so the next thing is the seed. Seeds are what plants grow from. Everybody knows what a seed is. And what's so cool is all of the DNA, all the coding for mutations, all the uniqueness in seeds, the capability to bear fruit is all in one little seed to start. And then it grows. And so the seed in this analogy is the word of God. Because the word of God can start off so small. The word of God, while powerful, can be in a simple sentence. And over time, it can grow and grow and grow. And so 
To give you a heads up on the rest of the story, not to spoil things before we get too far into it, but the sower is going to be traveling throughout his fields, sowing seed. And so what's going to have to happen is that he hopes that they take root and grow. That's, that's the goal of sowing seed. And in our modern advances in technology, we might not think of this, but the following four types of soil, they seem so different but they were probably all in the exact same field. They weren't separate fields. He didn't go to one field and then another field, but they were all in the same field. And so getting into the parable, the first type of soil that he he throws it on, it lands on this hard ground. The seed doesn't even go into it. It probably just bounces off because it's the path. Because in that day, they didn't have tractors to go distribute seed, but they had to walk it. And so year after year, they walked the same path, And it got trampled and it was hard. And so the seed could never actually even get into the ground to start growing. And then birds will be birds. And so they come by and they eat the seed. And so Jesus, later in the passage, breaks down what this first type of soil and the interaction looks like. And he says, the seed along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts. So they may not believe and be saved. So I think, first, this illuminates a reality that some of us may not know or want to come to terms with. But it's that Satan is actively opposed to the spread of the kingdom of God and is actively opposed to the word of God in our lives. But I think what happens first, before Satan even has an opportunity to take it away, is there's that hard ground. They've heard before, but they don't accept it. And it's years and years of hardness of heart has made when the word of God comes to us again, the heart doesn't accept it. It bounces right off. There's no room to grow. There are no cracks in this heart, in this soil to even grow. So Jesus goes on with this parable after talking about the first soil, which is the path and how the birds devour it. He goes on and he says, other seed fell on the rock. And when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. So to be honest, even until I was really looking into this passage for this week, I was always kind of like, duh, seed doesn't grow on rocks. Like, that's just not how it works. I was like, what was was the sower expecting? He just sees a big boulder, and he's like, well, let's see what happens. Maybe it'll result in a miracle, because seeds need dirt. But when I was looking into this, I I realized that Israel has huge limestone deposits. So if you're anything like me and paid no attention in earth science, um, limestone is an extremely porous rock, and it soaks up a lot of moisture. And in Israel, they would have these huge slabs of limestone inches beneath the surface of dirt. There'd be, you know, anywhere from two to five inches of dirt Um, but then there'd be these huge limestone rocks. And so when it would rain, the limestone would just soak up all of that water. But also during the summertime, it would soak up a lot of heat. And so when the colder months came, that um, the seeds that were on it would feel all that moisture coming up from the ground. It was a false sense of security. And so the seeds would start to grow and grow, but then... It would have to come to terms with the harsh reality of the environment around it, and the plants would die. And so Jesus explains this, and he says, The seed on the rock 
are those who, when they have heard, they receive the word with joy. But having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. And so he's saying there's this room to grow. There was that little bit of dirt. There was that deceptive heat. And it started to grow. The word of God was able to make it into the heart of these people. But soon hard times came. Soon the environments around them were not conducive to growth. And they stopped and they withered away. And there was no fruit produced. And so this rocky soil was initially good for growth. But it could not sustain anything. And the plant withered away. Again, Jesus continues, and he says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. So here, the the soil seems perfectly good for growth. You know, there are no rocks. It's not hard. It seems great. But at the same time, there are these thorns. There are these weeds that are growing up with it. And thorns and weeds are notorious for just soaking up nutrients. They hog everything, and they aren't good for growth. Um, Some of your least favorite gardening activities may be pulling weeds, and they just grow everywhere. They're invasive. They take over, and they're so possessive of their territory. And so the seed falls in this spot, and so it starts to grow up, but there's just not room to grow. Because the thorns and the weeds have already put a monopoly on this area of the field. And so Jesus, when he turns to his disciples, he explains what this soil is. He says, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, they go on their way and are choked with worries, with riches and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. And so in this situation, the hindrance to growth is not Satan. Satan isn't coming away and snatching away the word of God. It's not hardships in life like the rock. But in this one, it's an easy life. It's a a life filled with worry. It's a life filled with the pursuits of this world. It's a life of materialism that keeps the word of God from growing. And so this thorny soil is a soil focused on pleasure. And Jesus comes to the fourth and the final soil of this parable. And he says, still other seed fell on good ground. And when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. And he said this, He called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. And so finally, the seed has fallen where it was meant to go. The seed falls where we, as invested in this story of seeds growing, we want it to fall because we want to see something grow and produce fruit. And not only does it grow, but Jesus says that it produces a crop a hundred times the amount. And in that day, if you got a a seven-fold crop, so seven times, that was pretty standard. That was to be expected. You were happy. If you got up to 30 to 40% more, 30 to 40 times the amount, that was like a blockbuster year. You couldn't contain yourself. Everybody would be like, what did you do this year that you grew that much and you had that much return? So Jesus is saying this type of soil 
produces a hundred times the amount. That would have been unheard of in that day. But he says, that is what my word will produce. My word will produce a hundred times the amount in your life. And so he explains this and he says, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. And so I think what's interesting here is Jesus almost switches it a little bit. And the other ones, he's talking about the situations in their life that keep them from growing, that keep them from producing fruit. But in this one, he doesn't really talk about the situations in their lives. He doesn't say, well, these people just had the right circumstance. And so that's why it was a lot easier for them to produce fruit. You know, they were in the top 1% earners, and so they didn't have to worry about the hardships of life. And like, I guess they had their outlook right. And so that's why they were able to not be too concerned about getting stuff in this world because they already had it. No, Jesus talks about the status of their heart. He says those with an honest and good heart. So we look at good, and that's such an almost bleh term in, in our English language, because, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing good, you know. Oh, that was pretty good. And it's almost like when you don't want to say, like, oh, that was really good or, like, really great, you just are like, it's good. Um, and so it's a, a bleh term, but really, when Jesus is using it, it meant excellent. It meant righteous. It meant joyful. And so an honest and good heart. Those are the hearts that when they hear the word of God, they produce a hundredfold fruit in the kingdom of God. And so he also mentions that they endured. He also afterwards mentions the situations in their life because he doesn't say that they don't have anything in their life growing, going on. He doesn't say that there aren't hardships in their world. He doesn't say that there aren't things that they're running into, but he says that they endured. There was an action, a continual action. Whereas before we see with the different soils, there was initial reception of the word of God. But other things got in the way, but these people endured. And so what do these four soils, these four types of hearts that Jesus is talking about in the parable of the sower have to do with the kingdom of God? Because he said that he's telling us the secrets of the kingdom of God. He's telling us that there's something to be connected to the kingdom of God. And so when we're looking at this, we have to ask ourselves some tough questions. And Jesus is making a bold initial statement, first of all, about the kingdom of God. Because kingdoms in that day and age, they thought of Rome. They thought of Greece in the past. They thought of all these mighty empires. And how did those kingdoms grow? They had mighty warriors. They had mighty armies. Roman had the Pax Romana, and they enforced their peace, and that's how they grew. They you know, enforced taxes to build their wealth as kingdoms. And Jesus is saying, how is the kingdom of God going to grow? It's like a guy going out in his field and he's throwing some seed. And he's waiting for the seed to grow in their lives. And I'm no CEO. I don't, you know, create strategic business plans. But in this story, one out of four 
actually produce something. And that doesn't seem like a successful business model to me. I wouldn't get to 25% success and be like, we've hit our max. That's awesome. But God is saying, this is, this is the kingdom of God. And so I think, first of all, this is a lesson to us, that when we take on the place of the sower, a lot of times I think we can look at people and be like, they haven't responded to the word of God in the past. You know, when we start putting these labels on people, and, and in our typical Christianese, we can even be like, they're the hard ground. They aren't going to respond to the word of God, and so why am I going to waste some seed throwing it to them? Or that person, boy, they are just caught up in materialism, and they are the thorny soil, and so I'm not even going to waste seed. But Jesus, when he's talking about the sower, he spreads seed liberally everywhere, and he lets the word of God grow where it will. He lets God instigate growth in people's lives. And so we need, as we look at other people in our world, we need to be faithful sowers and sow in every place because this is how the kingdom of God grows. The other kingdoms in the world grew through force. Even the other Jews at the time wanted Jesus to come and talk about growth in the kingdom of how they could be a part and take down Rome take down their oppressors, and maybe they would even become the oppressors because that had been long overdue for them. But Jesus says, no, this is how my kingdom will grow. My kingdom will grow when people hear my word and respond to it. When they do more than listen, but they start to do. And so I think this is where the real application comes to us. Because I think all of us, To some extent, if we're here and we're looking for something greater, we want the kingdom of God to grow. I know as a staff and as elders here at Elevation Community Church, we desire to see the kingdom of God come alive and grow in Blanchester and grow in each and every family and each and every individual here. And we pray that that will be the desires of your heart as well. And so how can we allow the word of God to grow and produce fruit in our life? Like I was saying earlier, we tend to label people as Christians, and it's something kind of really awful that we can get in the habit of doing. We can just start to label different people according to things. And we even label ourselves. And I did this for the longest time. When I'd read this, I'd be like, I'm the good soil. You know, I respond to the word of God. You know, I I accepted his salvation, and I'm doing things in my life, and I'm living after God, and so I'm the good soil. And I start looking around, I'm like, all right, who else can I help convert to the good soil? But I think if we look at the setting of the passage, the sower went out into the same field. He went into one field, and he found all of these different types of soil. And so I think if we're brutally honest with ourselves and vulnerable, I think in our own hearts, we have all four types of soil. I mean, who of us when having heard something from God, because that area of our life was like the path and the trampled down, just years and years of rejecting God's word, it was hard, and it just bounced off, and we didn't even think about it. Somebody came into our life, whether that was a pastor, whether a trusted friend, whether a parent, whether a sibling, whoever, spoke God's word and truth into our life, and immediately we were just like, no. We aren't even going to listen to it. And before we could revisit it, Satan had taken that opportunity out of our life. Or who of us 
in an extremely hard time of our life, we heard something from God. We heard a truth. We heard something about his kingdom and how it wants to be made real in our life. But because of the hardship in our life, maybe we initially were like, that is so good. But two days later, when we're back in the work week and things are awful at work, we've totally forgotten about it. And it hasn't been made real in our life. Or which of us have been so consumed with pursuing the things in this world, pursuing success in our jobs, pursuing financial stability for our families. I, I love families, but even just our families sometimes have been made an idol in this world. And we protect that before we seek the kingdom of God and we seek his word in our life. And so when we allow those things in our life, the, the word of God has no room to grow because all of our resources, all of, you know, all of the nutrients in our life have been poured into those, and those already have a monopoly on our life. They don't allow the word of God to take root. Or who of us, maybe some of you, if you're being honest, you'd say, maybe I've never even gotten to that last soil. But then there are times where we hear the word of God, and it takes root and we hold on to that and we persevere in that truth. We persevere in that word. And that has become a reality in our life. And so I think where this really makes a lot of sense is there are different areas in our life that are different soils. Maybe in how you are faithful with raising your children, you are that good soil. You hear God's word. You take it to heart. You pursue God's heart for your children, for your marriage, when it comes to maybe financial generosity, that's hard. Or maybe you're just going through a hard time and so you're the rocky soil because in that hardship, it's hard for you to really let the word of God take root. You know, or maybe in patience, you are that good soil. God has worked in your heart, in your life, and you are an extremely patient and long-suffering person and show the heart of Christ in that. And that is awesome. But maybe there's another area of your life where there are just too many worldly possessions in that area for the word of God to be made alive. And so I think where this comes into play with the kingdom of God is we have to ask ourselves, what are we building into? What are we building into? Are we building into the self-kingdom of God? Because if we aren't careful, we can allow the thorns and the rocks and the hard path to be what we build our life on what we allow all of the resources in our life to go to, and that is the self-kingdom. That is the me kingdom. That can even be your family kingdom. It can be the Kingsley kingdom. It has a really cool ring to it, but it's selfish. It's self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about my legacy. But I can let hardships come, and I can be okay to let those rocks keep me from hearing the word of God in that time. You know, I can pursue the things of this world so much that that's what I allow all the resources in my life to build on, and I'm building the self-kingdom. And so I think if we want to start building into the upside-down kingdom of God, if we want to build our life on the kingdom, if we want to build our life into the kingdom and pour into the kingdom, then we have to get our green thumb on. We have to get our gardening gloves on, get a hoe, get a rake, get a shovel, whatever it is. And we need to go out into our field and dig up those rocks. 
We need to get rid of the thorns in the fields of our life. We need to locate them. We need to identify them, speak out against them, and then we need help. Rocks are heavy. Thorns have thorns, I guess, Um, and they'll pierce your hands. You know, it's hard work. And we need others to do that. We need the community of other believers. You need a family group. You need a 222 group. You need your family to come alongside of you. You need accountability. The kingdom of God is not going to grow in your life by itself. You need help. You need work days to go out into the fields of your life and dig those things up. Those Maryland farmers need to get it together and get the rocks out of their fields and start letting the word of God grow in their life. We need to transform our thorny and rocky hearts into honest and good hearts. And only then can the kingdom of God grow in our life. And so the band can come up as as we're closing. But this is going to be a choice for you. You have to ask yourself, are you content to just let your life be continually building into the hardships dwelling on the hardships and using the hard things in your life as an excuse. And I don't want to make light of the trials, of the hardships that you're going through, because I don't know all of your situations, but I do know that God is greater. I do know that the rewards of hearing and applying God's word in your life are greater than any hardship could ever be in your life. Are you content to just build into the things of this world, into your self-kingdom, Pursuing pleasure, pursuing your own life, pursuing your own success, pursuing the day-to-day things in this world. Are you dedicated to doing work, digging those up, throwing them by the edge of the field? And I think what's interesting to go back to the Maryland fields is when I was little, I heard this tidbit about history that when the British came during the Revolutionary War, one advantage that the American colonists had was because they had already prepared their fields. They had taken those rocks and they would always set them up by the edge of their fields. They would always take them out and they'd set them up in walls. And so when the British came, the American colonists already had lines of defense. They already had protection. They had protection against the British. And so I think when we do the work and we take those rocks out of our field and we set them by the wayside and we allow God to work in our lives, there is protection against what Satan wants to do in our life, against what the realm and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of self. And we set those rocks by the side of our fields and we say, no, this is the boundary. This is a good field that will produce fruit and there is nothing that is going to come into it. And so what are you going to do with your fields? What are you going to do with your heart today and tomorrow and this week the rest of this year and the rest of your life? Are you content to let the thorns and the rocks take over? Or will you dedicate yourself with others around you to dig them up and pursue an honest and good heart that responds to the word of God and grows his kingdom and not yours. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and your kingdom will last forever. And so I just pray now that you would continue to grow your kingdom, 
that you would grow your majesty, that you would grow your glory in each and every individual, each and every life, each and every family, each and every business here, each and every cluster of community in Blanchester, the greater Cincinnati area, America, and the world. Until the day that we are united with you in eternity, that we would dedicate ourselves to growing your kingdom, that we would be faithful in spreading your word and we would be faithful in hearing and understanding your world and responding to it. I pray that you would give us the boldness to go out into our fields and dig those up. That you would give us the boldness to do the hard work that is so daunting but so important for our life. God, you are good and your power will be made known. In your name I pray. Amen.